I am so glad you're here. Here we go. Marriage to the max part du. For those of you who don't speak Spanish, I mean French. That's the bilingual portion of our show. Marriage to the max part two. That's what we're talking about this morning. Now, if you did not catch part one, all the podcasts for all the stuff that we do here is on our website, which is gunnisonbethany.com. Easy to remember. Just go to the sermons. Um, please, not because it's great teaching, but because it's great truth from God. I really, really want you to, to get this. So if you haven't been here for part one, check it out. It was uh, May 29th. Um, and you can download that. It's free. Um, and just because we want great marriage. I love talking about marriage because marriage is great. It is great. If you're not married, if you're single, if you're divorced, you doubt you ever will be married. You're just not at that place or whatever. Stick with us. Do not check out because the things that we're going to talk about. Now, while we're applying them in the message to marriage, these can be applied to any love relationship that you care about. It could be a parent, it could be a sibling, could be a child, could be a friend, could be a job thing. Whatever love relationship you care about and you want to last, you can apply these truths. And the things that we're talking about, most of them, whether you're a Jesus follower, a church person or not, you can, you can apply this stuff. It's just good. It's just good and healthy. Um, and then there's going to be some stuff that, that's going to call you to press into Jesus Christ. And if you're into that, I, I encourage you to do that. I really do even if you're not into it. Look, um, you want a better marriage. You want better love relationships. Here's the good news. God does too. And so if that's what you want and that's what God wants, we're going to have a couple of decisions that we talk about um, today that, that you and I can make. And with God wanting that and you wanting that and these right decisions in place, you're going to get there. So let's go. Let's go. Um, take a look at this. This is... One degree. Do you see that? Now, if the whole circle is 360 degrees, that little thing is one degree. I didn't know there'd be math involved. I know. I know. It's painful flashbacks of middle school. It's going to be okay. Okay, just go with me. That is one degree. If that one degree was a slice of pizza, you wouldn't even taste it. I've had bigger things stuck in my teeth for prom pictures than that. Right? One degree. But I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine if that bottom line is where you want to be going, but that top line is where you actually are going. Well, one degree is the difference, right? And if you're just taking a few steps, if you just take four steps, it doesn't really matter because one degree off after about four steps, you're only going to miss your target by about two inches, which unless your target is like a keyhole, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. But what happens if you want to walk some more? What happens if you want to go from here to the power stop, which I highly recommend, right? If you are one degree off, by the time you get to the power stop, you're not entering the front door. You just kiss the wall and it's not even flip night. No, I just lost everybody who's over 30. But the rest of you, you're with me, right? Let's say you want to walk even more. Say you want to walk a mile. You walk a mile and you're only one degree off. By the time you get there, you are 92 feet off of where you wanted to be. You thought you were going home. You just walked into your neighbor's house. And it's not even flip night, right? 
And depending upon who your neighbor is, you could be in a lot of trouble. Now think about your marriage. Think about your relationship. You may look like you're going in the same direction, right? You're only one degree off and you're walking together. Let's say that in relationship, we only take one step a day together, right? After a week, we're just like two, four feet apart, four feet apart. That's not a problem. That's not a problem because we can still hold hands, right? Two feet. I need a little mojo room anyway. But after, after a while, the weeks go by and the transitions are so small and so slight that, that after only being a few inches apart, but after three months, one step, one degree apart starts to add up. Pretty soon, it's a strain to hold hands. After six months, you're eight feet apart. You're sitting on opposite sides of the couch. Now you're relaxing after nine months in different rooms. After a year of taking one step at a time, one degree apart, you are 16 feet apart and you can't reach each other even if you wanted to. That is what happens. That is the impact of veering very slightly off the same course over a long period of time. And I don't have to explain this to some of you because you Live it. You, you live it. And, and look, there is no condemnation here. Just hope. Just hope. Because God wants to transform. It doesn't matter. You may have one degree of separation. You may have 10. You may have 90. You may have 180. God. God is the all-powerful God. He can bring that back together. But some of you know. Some of you know what this is. And you wonder, what is, what is a keep? What is it that keeps us? What is it that's off that is keeping us from this love relationship that we had? It used to be. It used to be for you that it was exceptional when you would feel the distance. Now, maybe it's exceptional when you don't. And, and there's hope there. It, it, it does not matter, you see. And, and, and I don't want you to use outside in things when we keep busy working and taking care of the kids and, and staying programmed, right? That sometimes makes you feel it less, but it's not there any less. How I know this stuff? Because I've been there. My wife, Cherie, has been there. We've all been there. We just won't, don't want to stay there. See, look, it's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay not okay. You get me? So the good news is that none of us has to. The good news is you may be one degree off you, maybe 10 degrees off you, maybe it doesn't matter because God is going to bring us back together. Let's take a look. Here's some 2000 year old wisdom from scripture. The writer of Hebrews says this, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That's got to be the ointment. That's going to be the healing. <coughs> that no, would you say those next three words with me out loud? No, what is that? Root of bitterness. Now, I didn't put those quotations there. No root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled, which is not a word we use very often. It means messed up and, and really messed with. 
Wow, did you see that? That bitterness is being described as like a weed. It has roots. It springs up. It messes things up. Bitterness is like alive. It's like a weed. Now, um, I know a thing or two about weeds because I grew up uh, in the Northeast. I was living on Long Island, not the nice parts that they show in like TV. Like the neighborhood we lived in, uh, lower middle class. Very like So the people there didn't have a lot of stuff. But for some reason, a disproportionate number of them wanted to have like these pristine lawns. Do you know the, you know the type? Did you grow up in a home like that? Did you wear the, you know, the get out there with the scissors and everything? It's just, we have free counseling for you if you did, okay? No, no, here's the thing. That growing up in that neighborhood, it seemed that the, like the more compulsive the family was about how the, the, the lawn looked, it was like the more messed up things were in the house. And I know because like my friend Robert, his dad was like a screamer. You know, you know the kind where he's always screaming at his kids. Scream, like the whole neighborhood has to know. Like, you know, and, and, but his lawn was... So that's the only job that like elementary school or middle school kids could get was like weeding and lawn care and delivering papers. So I did both of that. So, so weeding, right? I know a thing or two. You can imagine my excitement when we're moving to Gunnison, right? Right? Because now we live like out at Hartman Rocks, which is kind of like a rugged kind of place. Well, which surprises none of you because I'm a real rugged guy, right? And I get none of that. None of that. We start, we start getting out. There's like a new reality for me. Like people let, just let the, let the yard just go. Like you put a lawn in there and they go, what's the matter? What's the matter with you? This, this landscape's not good enough for you? No, they, when you let the weeds go, do you know what they call them? Native grasses. They think of dandelions as wildflowers. I'm going, my people, my people, right? So I want you to put these two things next to each other. And I think that we care sometimes more about the weeds in our lawn than we do about the weeds in our love. God is exactly the opposite. I I don't know that he gives a rip about what your lawn looks like. I really don't. I think he obsesses over whether there are weeds in your love. Okay. And so that's what we're going to look at. And the tragic thing about the, the seeds and the roots of bitterness is that it starts out as a seed and then it puts down roots. But when it comes up, it doesn't flower. It comes up in walls. That's why it's so dangerous because when it blooms, it separates us from the people that God has called us to love. It separates us from him separates us from the person that he created us to be. So that's why it's so dangerous. And that's why we want to look at three key decisions that you and I can make to do battle with the root of bitterness. So first we're going to make decision one. We're going to crush the seeds of bitterness in my heart. Now that that's just not my heart. That was, that's yours too. Okay. Crush the seeds of bitterness. How are we going to do that? We're going to say this out loud. If you've grown it, own it. Say it. If you've grown it, own it. Because this is what we do. We deny 
we have seeds. Now, I don't want to see like a new pot shop opening up and this is the slogan and somebody say, you know that pastor at Bethany, he came up with that. No, this is about the seeds of bitterness. If you've grown it, own it. And we don't like to own it. We say, I don't have any seeds of bitterness. Really? Okay. Well, maybe you only have one or two. Or maybe you got pockets full. Or maybe you got a carry-on piece of luggage that's bulging so fat, you can't put it in the overhead bin or underneath the seat in front of you. It doesn't matter. You need to check that luggage and send it somewhere else. Do not claim it. We got to get rid of it. But to get rid of it, we got to admit that we have it. The seeds of bitterness are there. Even if, no, I have a happy marriage. Okay, but one degree over a long period of time can create a distance that you don't want. So let's do battle when it's in the seed stage. Maybe you're into hiding. No, look, I tried to discourage that at this church because we're all broken people who are desperate for the grace of God to remake us and to change us. But maybe you want to come all like shined up. I understand. You want to hide from your, your family, your friends. You've got seeds, Right? But here's the thing. The only way to hide that stuff is to stuff it down, to bury it, right? Maybe you've heard what happens to seeds that you bury, right? They grow and you don't want that. So let's take a a look at the anatomy of the seeds of bitterness. It's going to make some of you feel better for just a second. The one who is most bitter is most often the one who has been hurt the most by their spouse. See, I knew I was right. That's what you're thinking, some of you, right? The one who is most bitter is most often the one who has been hurt most by their spouse, but chances are you've chose to cling to that bitterness and that's as much a problem as the hurt that made you feel it. Here's, this is true. It's so hard to let go of those seeds because you think it protects you because it reminds you that you're right. But holding on to those seeds makes you wrong and it's not protecting you, it's poisoning you. So there's wrong on both sides. So it's not an environment where we're gonna condemn, where we're gonna criticize. This is a chance for us to release and get rid of those seeds. So we wanna get rid of them. Here's how we do it. Don't water the seeds of bitterness with your thoughts. You and I get to decide what we think about. And when you find yourself thinking about those negative things about that person that you really want to love, just stop it and invite God to to populate your thoughts with thoughts of love and grace. Number two, don't build a case against your spouse in your mind. Do you know what I'm talking about? This is when you have a conversation with someone who is not there. You're in the car, you're in a room alone, and this is why he is, she is so wrong, and this is why I am so right. And you walk like that, don't you, when you do that, right? You build a case against your, don't do that. Don't do that. Well, I am not angry, I'm just hurt. come here, you're bitter. Stop it, stop it. The tough thing is we like to hold on to it because it reminds us that we're right and you may very well be. But when you cling to that, you become wrong and it poisons you and it poisons every relationship you go in with. We're gonna get to that in a little bit, but just remember, don't have those conversations. Somebody else is there and they are whispering to you and it is not your friend, okay? 
Number three, choose a muse. I put it there like that so you'd remember it. Here's what that means. You remember the things when you used to date that used to make you laugh? Now they annoy you. Now they annoy you. The same things, right? Like when you're dating, she takes forever to get ready, but she's always the most beautiful person in the world when she comes. To, now it's, come on, we're going to church. Get ready for crying out loud. I don't care what you look like. It's not about your hair, right? I don't know who would say that. I don't know who would think that. Or he does this, and I used to think it's cute. No, it annoys me. Look, society, culture will tell you it's fashionable to be offended by everything. Don't be. Don't be. Not in your love relationships. Look, there are very few things that are worth getting really offended about. Everything else, you can choose whether you're going to laugh it off or whether you're going to be annoyed by it. Choose to choose amuse. We're not going to water those seeds. We're going to crush them. Okay, decision number two. We're going to uproot bitterness in my marriage. For those seeds that have started to germinate, we're going to get them up by the roots. You know, if you just pick the plant off, you know what happens. We got like a delivery of red granite. Okay, there's no dirt in this red granite. And there's a pile. It's probably about this high. There was extra. We had to pay for it, but it's extra. And out of the top, there are now weeds growing. Two weeks ago, this thing has been there. They have grown like three feet in no dirt. And you pull and there's like this huge taproot. It's crazy. So we're going to uproot the bitterness in my marriage. How are we going to do it? We go back to the word of God. It says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. So grace is the answer for uprooting the bitterness. What is grace? Well, that's kind of a church word. Here's what grace is. Love and favor, not determined by your behavior. Because it got a little strut to it, didn't it? Grace is love and favor, not determined by your behavior. The writer of Hebrews says, make sure that no one fails to obtain, which means make sure they back the truck of their life up to the, to, to the warehouse of grace and get overwhelmed by it. Get embraced by it. Get overwhelmed by it. Get, get saturated with grace. Here's the thing. You think, okay, you better go to God and get it. Do you know if you're married, one of the primary ways that your spouse gets to experience or, or obtain the grace of God is God pouring his grace through you, through you. So if, if like you're going to check out and, and not listen to anything, this is like worth the price of admission. Um, which there was none. So here, if you're going to remember something, one of the most powerful things you can do in your marriage, in your love relationship, is show your spouse how much God loves them but how, by how you love them. You know that's what marriage is all about. But I'm just not happy. I didn't see that in there. One of the most powerful things you can do is partner with God to show this person how much God loves them by how I love them. Well, I guess God doesn't love her too much. (laughs) He does, and you know it. You know it. You know it. So we're going to stomp those out, and we're going to pull them up by the roots. Okay. And we are going to make our marriage a place where grace lives. 
We're going to make our home a grace place. Because here's the thing. If you think of your life as your heart, as your, um, of your marriage as a garden, grace and bitterness will not grow in the same soil. One of them will, will crowd out the other. So we're going to plant grace and we're going to water grace and we're going to see grace go. You know, they were to think of our marriage as the grace Place and it is going to crowd out bitterness because the option is to water bitterness and it's going to crowd out grace. And I have some good news for you. If you're like in a relationship where you have lots of issues, you got a head start because if grace is love and favor that is undeserved, you already know that he or she doesn't deserve it. You are all set up to extend grace. So if you got issues, you're halfway there. That's fertile ground for grace to to thrive. And that's what we want. Third decision. Here we go. Third decision is we're going to decide to make our marriage better and not bitter. Decide every day in every conversation, in every thought, in every action. Is this going to make me, is this going to make us better? Is this going to make us bitter? If it's going to make you bitter, then you run. You run to better. You run to grace. We got to go back to the passage. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Let all bitterness, let all wrath, let all anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. These are the flowers. These are the blooms of bitterness and all the forms it takes. How do we do that? How do we do that? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. You see the grace in that? Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So there are three practical ways that we can be tenderhearted, uh, kind, and, and forgiving as Christ forgave. And these are three practical things within this decision to become better and not bitter that we can do. The first is this. Ways to make your marriage better, not bitter. Number one, you've got to keep short accounts. What does this mean? Where does this come from? Comes from the scriptures. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, Sheree and I, that's that beautiful woman right there. Raise your hand. That's my wife of almost 30 years. And then we dated for like five before that. Um, So I've been loving her for 35 years. Um, She's been loving me for like 33. (laughs) Well, look, I had more to work with. Right? And it just took me a while to kind of, you know, get in. But um, we take this literally, literally. And I would encourage you to do so. What this means for us, and I would encourage you to apply this, is that we are not going to go to sleep at night while there is anything that we know of that is between us. Right? And that has protected our love and our marriage for, for almost 30 years. And it'll be 30 years in December. Um, I encourage you to do this. Now, look, that means that if you got tension, if you got one degree, if you got distance between you, you say, we are not closing our eyes. We are not going to sleep until we talk this out, listen this out, love this out, pray this out. Look, sleep is overrated. Happy marriage is underrated. Trade sleep for blessing on your marriage every single time. You will never regret it. Here's why. 
Here is why. Because if you can get comfortable enough with that distance, even one degree, for one night, if you can do it for one night, you can do it for two nights. If you can do it for two nights, you can do it for 20 nights. If you can do it for 20 nights, you can do it for 200 nights. And then you become roommates and not one. And you know this feeling. But if you decide, I am not going to permit that seed to germinate, not one night, you will never do it. You will never, ever do it for two. If you won't do it for one, you won't do it for two. So I encourage you, that's the first thing. We're going to keep short accounts. That's what we're going to do. And the second decision is related to that. To make your marriage better, not bitter. Pray together every day. Every day. Now, there are tons of scriptures that we could use, but here's one. James, the brother of Jesus said, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. He said, he's not talking about marriage. He's talking about one another, Tom. Listen to me. If you are married, anytime you come across a one another passage in scripture, that's about your marriage. The most important one another you got in your life is your husband. The most important one another you got in your life is your wife. And you can't be much use beyond that if that one's broken. So he's talking about marriage. Therefore, pray, confess your sins one to another that you might be healed, that you might be healed. I got off my notes. You might have sensed that. Okay, here we go. We're going to pray. What does this look like? What does this look like? We're going to pray for our spouse and our marriage every single day. Do you know what that means? That means you are going to get down on your knees or stand up or do whatever you do, but you are going to pray for your spouse and your marriage every single day. And you are going to pray with your spouse for your marriage every single day. This is easy to do. You just have to decide this is what I'm going to do. You guys make decisions all the time that are way harder than this. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to quit doing this. I'm going to quit. I'm going to start doing that. Some of you. God bless you. have made a decision because some website said, put on your bucket list to climb every 14er in Colorado. And, and so I see these pictures and you guys are climbing up mountains. I can't do that. I can do this. And guess what? As glorious as that is, as good as the view from that is, you ought to see the view from walking in the light as he is in the light with the person he has given you to love for here and forevermore. Yeah, no 14 are going to deliver that. And you've got to come down from that. You don't got to come down from this. So I ain't knocking that. I'm just saying, if you could do that, you can do this. Why am I hitting that so hard? Because it's not common. It's not common. About 14 years ago, Shri and I were attending another church in town. And we were leading a, a Bible study for couples on the, having the love that you always look for. It was on marriage. We have like eight other couples and these are all like Jesus followers. These are all like church types. And and we got to the week where we're talking about praying together. (laughs) Praying together as a couple. 
And it got like eerily silent. Like all of these eight couples like looked at us like we had two heads, like we were crazy. Like I just asked them to go run through the city market with a Speedo and a bikini screaming the national anthem at the top of their lung during the summertime lunch rush. And that may be something that I enjoy, but I was not telling them they had to do that. No, we were asking them to pray, to pray pray for their marriage and their spouse and to pray with their spouse about their marriage every day. And if that seems crazy to you, get crazy. And if you are dating or if you hope to date someday and your man or your woman does not want to pray with you on your dates, he or she will not pray with you when you're married. Zero changes when you cross that line. So do it. And what does that look like? Would you, can I borrow your hand? I'm borrowing my wife. I'm not going to pay for this because I'm not going to do nothing embarrassing. But this is what this means. Husbands, you take your wife's hand and you let her hear you pray out loud. Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you for bringing this woman into my life. You give me her to love and to serve. Thank you. I would ask you bless her in every way. And would you do this? Would you change me? into the man, into the husband that can love her the way you love her so she can know how precious she is in your sight. You do that with my life. And if I fail in everything else, let me succeed here. Thank, I, I love you, by the way. <laughs> Ladies, Let your man hear you pray. Dear God, thank you for this man that you have brought into my life. Would you make him the man that you created him to be, the man that I see in him, the man that he doubts that he is? Would you make him into that? And would you use me to help clear the way for that man to come out? And then both of you, You just pray, God, God, you gave us marriage as a picture of how you love the church. Would you protect our marriage? Would you bless our marriage? Would you use our marriage to be an influence outside of our family, in our neighborhood, in this university, in this town, in this city, for your glory? You do that every day. You are not going to be ready for the blessing that you walk in. Does that mean life gets easy? No, it means it gets glorious no matter what is happening. I have a good marriage by grace and desperation because we're desperate for God. Because without that kind of love, we don't see it. So here it is. We're going to pray. 
We're going to keep short accounts. And here's the last thing. Then I'm going to let you go. I know he ran long, but I got this stuff storing up for a month. And like, right? The stuff I cut, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even believe. Okay, so thank you for your grace. Here's the third thing. If you don't do the first, if you don't do this one, you do everything else, it's not going to matter. Okay. Ways to make your marriage better and not better. Number three, you have to love to forgive. You have to love to forgive. You have to love to pardon your spouse. Look at me, look at me. We're just going to boil it all down. If you will do this, if your spouse will do this, love to pardon, love to forgive. Look at this. Nothing can touch your marriage. Nothing can touch your marriage because you are so drenched in the gospel because you are so drenched in the grace of evil can't touch it. Poverty can't touch it. Loss of a child can't touch it. Disease can't touch it. How do I know? Because the word of God says so and generations of the faithful have walked it. I am walking this by grace best I can. Know that you've got to be lovers of forgiveness. Here, let's go back. We got two rules for you to remember. I need you to read these with me so that we remember them. Read it out loud. When you... Okay, that was pretty good, but this is frankly more catchy than, than, than that. Okay, so ready? When you mess up, fess up. Okay, rule number two, say it with me. For love to live, you got to forgive. Okay, all right. I know what you're saying. Tom, I can't do it like you. I'm not a rapper like you are. I know, I know. But I made these rhymes. You can remember, so let's do it. For love to live, you got to forgive. If you, like, that's funny, but if you and I can say, when I mess up, I'm going to fess up. And if I want this love to live, I have to love forgiving. I have to be passionate about forgiving. I have to forgive joyfully, right? Can you imagine how fast we would be to forgive and confess if we knew that what was on the other side of that confession was restoration and love? And healing and not condemnation or punishment or berating, right? Wouldn't we come clean so much faster? That's what you have in God. That's what you have in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who has decided he is going to love you. It is in his essence to love you. No matter what you do, you are not bad enough to distance yourself from the love of God to be disqualified for his forgiveness if you just come. And that's what the scripture says. It says his kindness draws us to repentance because we know the pardon, the restoration, the love that comes when I hit my knees and I say, I've blown it. I have zero excuse. He's going to restore me. That is the thing that, that, that so many people don't understand. That God is not walking around with a big stick waiting to beat you when you come clean. He said, I'll, I'll nail myself to that stick so I can pardon you. Right? If the son, the prodigal son knew the welcome and the restoration and the love that was waiting for him, do you think he would have spent so much time in the pig trough? That's forgiving the way Jesus forgives is that you enjoy pardoning. 
you enjoy pardoning. So I'm going to ask you to do two things. Well, I'm going to ask you to do one thing, but um, first of all, you may say, I don't, I can't forgive my spouse that way. I do not have it in me to forgive that way. Not this person in my life. I get it. I agree. You don't. But the wonderful power of God's forgiveness, the loving power of God's forgiveness can. Because of the loving power of God's forgiveness, Hosea was able to pardon his wife time after time after time when she left him again and again to go after other men. Because of the loving power of God's forgiveness, Joseph was able to, after being uh, dissed by his brothers and thrown into a pit and sold as a slave, he was able to forgive them because of the loving power of God's forgiveness. Jesus, when he was being crucified for you, for me, and, and then men are causing him this pain and he is allowing it. He prays to the Father and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Because of the loving power of God's forgiveness, you and I, right where you are with the past that you got, with the presence you got, with the luggage you carry, with the baggage, with your rap sheet, in Christ, you can stand right now, pardon, clean his holy daughter, his holy son, absolutely no relational distance between you and God. And people say, yeah, but you know what they did? Yeah, it's on Jesus. Yeah, but you know what he's about? You know what she's about? Yeah, see Jesus for that one. He paid it. That is the loving power of God's forgiveness. And that is what you and I need to flow through us because it's not in me to love forgiveness that way. But you can have that. So here's what we're going to do. I need you. This is homework. Look, if this has spoken to you in any way, and it's not Tom who's speaking to you, it's the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. God bless you. I want you to decide today to find some time to get alone with God. Each spouse alone with a pen and a piece of paper and you ask God some questions. Here's the first one. With my spouse, what do I need to confess? With my spouse, what do I need to confess? And wait quietly. It may take a minute or two, but when God starts talking, you start writing and write fast because it's going to come. It's going to come. If you need to ask him again, you ask him again and you listen until you know. And just write that down. There's not condemnation on the other side of this. This is how you get free. After that calms down, you ask this. What do I need to forgive my spouse for? What have I been holding on to and letting grow into a bitter root? What have I been holding on to? Because I would rather be right than reconciled. What am I holding back? And you write that down. Look, decide to do that today. Decide right here, right now. You're going to do this before the sun sets. Why I say that? Because if you put it off, you're not going to do it. You put this off, you're not going to do it. You don't know what, what I have scheduled today. You have anything scheduled that's more important than the reconciliation of your marriage that God would bring you two together and bless it and use it and this relationship in ways that you've never known? Got anything more important than that? Decide you're going to do this and then you come together 
and you talk this out and you listen this out and you love this out and you pray this out and you take the first step of every step that's going to come from here. You do this. You do this. And God is going to move. You make this a habit of of keeping short accounts, of praying together, of loving confession and forgiveness, and you are going to have a marriage for the ages that will reflect the love and the glory of God. And if you've blown it, there's grace for you. There's grace for you. You said, ah, that's my old marriage. Yes, but you're not done loving. And you can love different now. I can love different now. So that's what we're going to do. I know I ran long. I want to leave you with one quick story because it's a miracle. And it speaks to what God wants to do in your life, in my life. Moses, you remember Mo? He led the uh, Israelites out of the Red Sea, right? This is right after that. comes from Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15, I'll put it up there. So you guys can, oh, this is another thing. Here, you can't be right with Jesus when you're wrong with your spouse. So stop trying. They come together because you're one in his eyes, right? So you can't be divided and be one. Okay, here you go. Exodus chapter 15. Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. That's the the place where they went. They went there three days in the wilderness and found no water. By the way, do you know how long you can go without water? (laughs) About three days. So this is getting desperate. They, 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 They are close to dying of thirst, right? When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. That's the what Marah means, bitter if your name is Marah. I'm sorry, I didn't write it. I'm just reading it, okay? And the people grumbled against Moses and said, what shall we drink? Take a look at this. This is stunning. And Moses cried to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log. The better translation of that in the Hebrew is a tree. And he said, throw it in the water. And and Moses threw the tree in the water. And the bitter water became sweet. said, Tom, why are you getting all messed up about that? Because the thirst is in your soul. And the water is your marriage, is your relationship. And the log, the tree... Is the cross. You invite Jesus Christ and his grace into the bitterness, however small, however great. And he will make it sweet. It's what he does. It's what he does. May the God of mercy take your one degree, your 10 degrees, in your marriage, in your friendships, in your parenting, in your relationships, and in his grace evaporated and pour through you a love that is absolutely impossible except for the grace of God. And you shall have it in Jesus' name.
And before I sit down, and I will, some of you are dealing with a one degree, and it is not with your spouse. It's with your God. And you've been walking a long time in a slightly different direction. And the best news in the world is that is why Jesus came. He said, I'm going to take the guilt of that. I'm going to put it on me so that I can bring you home. Come home. If you have not done that, if you've never said, Jesus, I need a Lord and I need a Savior. I know you paid all the things I'm trying to compensate for in my life so that I could be forgiven and free by a gift. You come in, you be my Lord, you be my Savior and nothing ever gonna be the same again. That's why we carry on here. That's why we sing. That's why we preach. That's why we serve. That's why we love. That's why we're going to go from here and try to bless a town and a university that God loves, and they don't know that yet. So we're going to sing. We got Kevin. Kevin, would you mind standing up where you are? He'll pray with you. Where's Amanda? Where's Amanda? I talked to her. There's Amanda. Shree and I are going to be back here. You need prayer for that, for your marriage, for anything. Rachel, would you be willing to pray with people? If Rachel's there, she's in blue. She'll probably be around here. Anybody else who will pray? And if you need prayer, look, this ain't about not being perfect. There's only one perfect person in this place. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. All the rest of us are the island of misfit toys. So if you're sorry about the way you're going to look, if you go and ask for prayer, you look like everybody else. And the only reason we are willing to pray with you is because we've already been prayed for because we need the very thing you're going to ask us to pray for. We are all on level ground looking to our Savior and our Master. Okay. So you do business with God because he's got huge plans for your loves. Um, You, music, you know, having you back. Man, beautiful. I love you. I love you too and you, but we get to see you more and now he's visiting. So you come and play. We're going to have a time of prayer. Do you have a closing song? All right, do that. Okay, you've got to pry yourself away from this one, but you can do that. All right, if you need prayer, there's Kevin, there's Amanda, there's Rachel. Shree and I are going to be here. You, there's somebody around you who pray with you. Let's do business with God. He can change your life because he died to give it to you. And he lives to wake that up in you and bring you home and keep you there. I love you.